church, friends and family, it is an honour that I get to speak with you today. If it's your first time tuning in to church, then you are most welcome. Do you know what my favourite thing is about this church? It's that we are not events-based, but we believe in journeying through life together. And so welcome to the family. And I hope that you find hope in your heart, that you are inspired and full of faith by the time we finish this talk today, that you know that God is for you. You know, I used to say that nobody knows me better than I know myself apart from God. He's the only one who really truly knows me. But I have since discovered there is another source that also knows me very, very well. And that is Amazon. I don't know how it's been for you in this season, but my goodness, I don't know how I would have got through these last few months without Amazon. Amazon knows my shoe size, it knows my dress size, it knows my cooking utensils, it knows what I use in the kitchen, it knows what I'm reading and what I'm learning in my fads of eating and my diets and my exercise plans. Amazon knows all about me. We used to say, if you really wanna know what a person is like, go and check out the family they come from. But now I would rather say, go and check out their Amazon account because you'll really find out what a person is like when you look in their Amazon account. But Amazon hasn't always been how we know it to be today. It started in 1994 by a, by a guy called Jeff Bezos and he started it in his garage because he just wanted to do an online bookstore, just a little online bookstore. But Jeff had dream and drive and ambition and goals. And by 1995, just one year later, he had exceeded Walmart in sales of software and video games and all sorts of other stuff. And then he went on to selling furniture and food and toys till Amazon has become what we know it is today. He says this, he says, it didn't just happen. I started by asking questions. I wanted to know what people really wanted. And then I began to go and seek out some wisdom on how I could make this thing happen. And I started knocking on some doors to see if they would open for me. And it kind of reminded me of a scripture, something that Jesus spoke to His disciples in Matthew 7. It's a familiar scripture. If you've never been to church, you would probably have learnt this scripture in Sunday school or in your school classroom as a memory verse. Ask and the gift is yours. Seek and you will discover. Knock and the door will be open to you for every persistent one will get what he asks for. And every persistent seeker will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. The subject that I'm gonna speak to you for the next few moments on is God can't resist when you persist. God can't resist when you persist. This scripture is actually something that Jesus 
taught to His disciples. It's known as a collection of teachings called the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus took His disciples up a mountain to speak to them on this very subject. I don't actually know why He called it the, uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount because it wasn't just one sermon. It was in fact 19 different sermons all bunched together and He just called it one. Um, I counted them. It's 19 different subjects all shoved together. So if I get my exaggeration gene off Jesus, I'm pretty cool with that. But he took them up the mountain to speak to them. And this, what we're looking at today, is just a small snippet of what Jesus was actually teaching to his disciples. And it's something that you and I can learn so much from today. I began to wonder, why did he take them up the mountain to speak to them? I began to wonder, why did he not just teach them from the shores of Galilee like he's done so many times? Why did he not just speak to them in the marketplace or on a boat or outside the synagogue like he did so often? Why did he take them up a mountain? And this is what I believe. I believe Jesus wanted to take them up the mountain so that they could have a different perspective on what it was he wanted to teach them. I believe that Jesus took them up a mountain so he could seat them in a higher place so he could teach them something that he really wanted them to remember. Because here's the thing, up the mountain, everything looks different. When from the top of the mountain, they could see down into the valley where they lived and down in the valley represented everything that they loved. It represented their whole life. Their friends and their family and their homes were in the valley. But so too with their problems and their situations and their struggles. And I believe Jesus seated them in a higher place so that they could get a different perspective on life. And I wonder... Today, if you too would listen to this message, this very familiar passage from a different perspective, I wonder if you too would raise up your level of listening and thinking to a new place, to higher ground. Because this is what I think. I believe that when you listen with your internal ears and not just your external ears, you just climbed a mountain to listen to Jesus from a different perspective. When you choose to lean in and listen to the Word of God and learn from the Word of God, rather than just tuning in because it's Sunday, you just raise your ability to hear the Word of God from a different place. And I believe that God will give you a completely different perspective on your situation and on your circumstances. So with that in mind, May I just pray for you for a moment before we get into this scripture. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone who's tuned in today, listening to your words. All that matters for these next few moments is you and me. All that matters for these next few moments is every individual listener tuning in to get some hope and some clarity from your words. So Father God, I thank you that right now you meet every person right where they are. Amen. Amen. When Jesus spoke these words, ask, seek, knock, it's like as though he said the same thing 
thing three times over. It's like as though he kept on repeating himself, ask and it'll be given, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. Do you know every master communicator would teach you if you wanted to communicate to a group of people, you should tell the people what you're going to tell them, then tell them and then tell them again. And Jesus is the master communicator. And so he tells them and then he tells them again and then he tells them again. Slightly different, but all the time he's reiterating this one point, persistence, persistence, persistence. And so we're gonna break down these three points and we're gonna have a a closer look at what it actually was that Jesus was saying. I believe that he sat them down because he was saying, hey, listen, I, I want your full attention. Hey, right now, boys, I'm sitting you down on this mountain and I'm gonna tell you something that I don't just wanna give you information, but I actually wanna impart some revelation to you because what I'm about to teach you is gonna change your life. Like it's gonna change your relationship with God. Like I'm gonna teach you some things right now that is gonna show you and teach you how to hear from God, how to get your needs met by God. And once you've learned this, life will never be the same again for you. So the first question that I wanna ask you to ask yourself is, am I acting or am I asking? Am I acting or am I asking? Think about it and answer yourself honestly. When I pray to God, am I acting or am I actually asking? You know, I want you to think about that just for a moment. You know, one of the difficulties about being a pastor or a leader is that people talk to you in a way that they think you want them to speak to you. And actually, it's really frustrating So you can say to somebody, hi, how are you? And they say, amazing, God's so good, read the word this week, isn't life great? Amen, pastor. And you're like, wow, you're doing so much better than I am. I'm like, give me some real people. Tell me how it really is. Tell me what's really going on. Let me join you in prayer. But when somebody tells you they're fine all the time, you've got nowhere to go with that. And I think quite often we do the same with God. We pray these type of prayers with God. We speak to Him with our most eloquent speech. We use lots of words. We use repetitive prayer language over and over and over again. And I think God's like, man, give me some real people to speak to. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what I can do for you. Tell me what the situation is like and how I can step in and help you. Talk to me, God says. Just be honest and talk to me. You know, there's nothing more frustrating. You probably, like me, you've been in a small meeting or a group and the teacher or the leader throws it open to question and answers at the end. And nobody says anything. It's like you just met with this wall of silence and it's really awkward if you're in the meeting. It's so awkward. And I don't know if it's a British thing or a cultural thing or maybe you like me were told as a child, it's rude to ask questions. So you don't. 
But I would rather disagree with that statement because I'd say it's by asking questions you get answers. It's by asking questions you learn. It's by asking questions that you resolve problems. So God doesn't want you to come to Him with your politeness. God wants you to come to Him with your boldness and ask of Him, audaciously ask. So often um, I've led some of these meetings as well when you throw the room open for questions and answers and then eventually somebody breaks that awkward wall of silence with a statement followed by somebody else who gives another statement. And as the leader or the teacher, you're standing there thinking, I didn't ask for a statement. I asked you to ask a question. Because when you ask a question, it requires a response from me. When you ask a question, I can get involved and I can respond and I can help. But when you make a statement, all it's doing is informing me of what you and I already know. And there's no place for me to go, do you know we pray statement prayers to God? It's what we do. We pray a statement. We get before God and we tell Him how bad it is financially. We tell Him how we're struggling to pay the bills. And we tell Him how the relationship is, is falling apart and the marriage is on the rocks. And then we say, Amen. And go and have a coffee with a friend and ask them their advice. God's like, got it all wrong. Ask me. Ask me. If you really, truly believe that I had the answers, you would ask and you would ask and you would ask again. You know, this last week, my husband Luke says to our youngest son Solomon, What do you want to do today? He said, I want new football boots. Now I heard that and my mind straight away went, it's not Christmas, it's not your birthday. Um, these things cost a fortune because your feet are so huge. So that ain't happening. Luke said, what do you want to do today? So I need football boots, Dad. I'm like, hmm, again, I need football boots, Dad. How many know that by three o'clock that afternoon, Solomon had new football boots on his feet, not because he's a spoiled child, but rather because all the time the child is asking, the father is weighing up the situation. The father is observing the timing of everything. And in the father's mind, he's thinking, yeah, I know you've grown, outgrown your boots. And yes, training is about to start. And no, you can't go out in shoes and boots that are two sizes too small for you. So in the father's mind, he says, now is the time for me to give you what you're asking for. And God says, why would you not ask of me? Am I not a good, good father that will give you what you're asking for? You need to ask. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story. He often spoke to his disciples in story form to help them understand. Uh, when he wanted to drive a point home, he would illustrate it through a story form. And this is known as the um, persistent widow 
And he tells a story about a widow who went before an unjust and unkind judge. And she says to him, I have no male covering in my life and my oppressors are coming and I need to come under your law for protection. Will you protect me? And this unjust and unkind judge, he had no care for humanity, no compassion. And he says, no, go away. But she went back to him again and she said, I need protection from your government, your council, because these oppressors are coming. Can I have protection? And he says, no, go away. And she came back and she asked again. In verse four, it said, he ignored her pleas for quite some time, but she kept asking again and again and again. She was relentless and she was persistent. Do you know why? Because she knew that he had the power to grant her exactly what she wanted. So she persistently asked. And eventually, Scripture tells us, that he gave her what she wanted just to get her off his back. Jesus goes on to say to you and I, if someone can get what they want from an unkind and unfair judge by persistently asking, how much more are we gonna get what we want from a good judge and a kind father when we persistently ask? I think it's important that we remember just because we prayed a prayer today, it doesn't mean it'll be answered tomorrow. And just because it's not answered tomorrow doesn't mean it wasn't heard today. God heard your prayer, but He knows exactly what to give you, when to give you what you're asking for. Because how many know if Solomon had asked for a car that day, he wouldn't be getting one anytime soon, he's 14. But it, was a, it would be a no, not now, not a no, never. And sometimes God says to us, no, not now, but that it does not mean not ever. You have to persistently ask. Unrelenting, ceaseless prayers grab heaven's attention. The second question that I want to, you to ask yourself is are you sitting or are you seeking? Sitting or seeking, because your attitude, your inner posture, it, it, your, your inner man has a posture, just like your outer man has a posture. And just in the same way that we read body language, God reads our inner heart. So really, regardless of what our mouth is saying, God then reads your inner posture to see if it marries up with the words that you are praying. We can look at somebody and just by their physical appearance, we know if they're fit and strong or if they're weak. We know if they're sick or in pain. We know if they're happy. We know if they are, we know if they are excited and energetic or if they're bored and fed up. We can tell all of this by reading the body language. I could say to any one of my kids, hey, the house needs hoovering. And they go, okay. And even though their mouth is saying the right thing, their body language is telling me something else. And I think God looks at our hearts and He says, am I finding you seated? Are you sitting down on the inside in a place of complacency? And that looks like this. Father, I really wanna get married. I really want a husband. Everybody around me is married. And inside you're going, it's never gonna happen for me. I've been praying this prayer forever. It's just never gonna be that way for me. 
And God says that your inner posture looks so different to what you're asking for on the outside. God wants to hear your prayers, but He wants to see you seeking His will and being engaged with Him and fully expectant until that prayer comes to pass. You know, children live in a world of adventure. Children love to explore the unknown. They discover cupboards you don't want them to discover. They go through doorways that have been left open. They hide under things and you can't find them. You say to them, stay, and they just go. And it's like they just love the art of adventure. Children love discoveries, adventures, trails, hunts, clues to the child. The act of seeking is as important and is as valuable as the gift itself. There is something adventurous in children that we seem to lose as adults. Children know, if I seek, I will find. I can't tell you the amount of times when mine was smaller, they would come to me and say, Mom, can I have? And I would say, no, you can't because we haven't got one. And five minutes later, they would produce the very thing that you said you didn't have. They've gone into the cupboard, to the back of the cupboard, down behind the cupboard, and found the Kit Kat that fell there four months ago. They know if they seek, they will find. But somehow, between childhood and adulthood, we've made the art of seeking feel immature. We've made the art of searching into something that is childish. That's what children do. It's not what we do as adults, but let me tell you this. If you you transfer that over into the kingdom of God, you will miss out. Because God says, I expect you to seek, persistently seek what we can find. Because there is an answer hiding in the Word of God. There is an answer to be found within the church. He wants to reveal an answer to you in your time of prayer. And and searching gets His attention. But I think all too often, we're that busy talking about the problem that we're not being busy enough searching for the answer. And can I give you a tip today, free? When you search and you're searching in the Word of God for an answer, search like a woman, not like a man. And I feel like I can say this, because there's four of them in my house. And I could say to any one of them, could you go to the fridge and pass me the butter? And you know what they will do? They will go and open the fridge door. We haven't got none. And they will shut the door. We haven't got any. It's not there. But I stocked the fridge. I put the food in there. I know exactly what is there. I'm like, open the door again. Move the jam. Move the cheese. And there you will find the butter. But do you know, we often, we go to God in exactly the same way. Do you know what we do? I've prayed, nothing happened. I prayed that prayer, he didn't answer. I prayed that prayer and nothing's changed. In Luke 15, Jesus tells his disciples another story to get this point home. He talks about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she lost one of them in her house. So she's not satisfied with nine. 
because she used to have 10. So she goes looking for the one that is missing and she begins to pull the furniture out the house and she lights a lamp to get into the dark corners and she gets the sweeping brush out and she's like, I will stay here and I will search for that one coin if it takes me all day, all night and into tomorrow. I'm gonna keep on searching. I'm not gonna give up looking. Do you know why? Because she knew it was there. She knew it was somewhere. She used to have it. And Jesus says, this is the way I want you to search. Some of you are doing a marriage on nine shillings and going, ah, it's all right. It's okay. It's not what it was. We used to have joy, but somewhere we lost our joy. And you, you, you're accepting a nine shilling marriage. God says, no, go and look for the thing that's missing. We used to have peace in our household, but... We'll do with the nine shillings. It's not what it was. God says, no, go and look. And sometimes when you're looking for something and searching for something, you have to go back to the place where you last remembered you had it. If you lost your bank card, the first thing you would do is go back to the place where you last had your card to see, where, to see if it was still there, to try and find it again. You know, when... Um, <clears throat> My youngest son was in year five at school and I had an older one who was in high school and I would go and pick them up and I would park on a road that was in between the two schools. Now we have this thing in our family and I'm sure that if your family is as odd as mine, you have it too and it's called shotgun. And that literally means you have to race to the car before your brother to get to drive in the front seat next to mum. I don't know what made me so special, but there was something about riding shotgun next to mum on the way home from school. So we did this day and I picked them up. Sol got in the front seat. We did our usual rounds. We went to the corner shop for our snacks on the way home. We called in grandmas for a cup of tea and then we got home and I said to Solomon, take your shoes off before you go running upstairs. And he looked down at his feet and he said, mum, I have one shoe on. And I'm like, well, you must have taken it off. I sent you out the house with two shoes, go and check the car. And he goes and he looks in the car and he comes back, he says, it's not there. And I'm like, well, what, what do you mean it's not there? I sent you out with two shoes on. Well, I went and searched and it was not there. And so we began to retrace our steps. And all the time I'm wondering, how do you lose a shoe and not notice? I'm like, Saul, the ground would feel different under your feet. So we went back to grandma's and the shoe was not at grandma's. So we went back to the corner shop and oh, the embarrassment, going into the shop and asking the guy behind the counter, somebody left a shoe behind and it was not there and so the only thing I could think of was maybe where I'd parked the car he'd climbed into the front seat and taken his shoes off and it had fallen out and we went back to the road and the shoe was not there mystery and as we drove off down the road and past the school there outside of the school gates was this lone black Clark's school shoe and I'm looking at it at the gate and I'm now looking at how far he ran to get to the car. And I'm saying, Sol, you were that busy racing ahead to get shotgun. You ran right out of your shoes. 
and you haven't even noticed. But do you know this? In Ephesians 6, the Word of God says that He has clothed your feet with shoes of peace. He says, I've shod your feet with shoes of peace. Peace. And so often we get ahead of ourselves. We're that busy running with our dreams and our ambitions and our goals and what I want to do with my life and the relationship I want to seek out and the job that I want to do that we have run out of our shoes of peace and we have not even noticed. You've got to go back. You've got to retrace your steps. When did you last have peace in your life? Go back and you will find it. You might go back and find, you know what? It was when I made that decision everything seemed to change. I made that decision and nothing's felt right ever since. Ah, do you know what? It was when I started hanging out with that friend. It's like, I really like them, but my peace has left me. I've got to go back. I've got to find it. It was when I made that choice. It was when I had that conversation. And we've got to retrace our steps and find the thing, because here's the thing, it's there. God gave it to you, so it's there. So we just have to go back and find it. You know, when children search for hidden treasure, they search with enthusiasm and energy and they have to use their creativity and their intuition. And God says, as my children, I expect you to use your energy, your creativity, your intuition, which by the way, is the Holy Spirit. And He is gonna lead you to the next clue. And when you get to the next clue, it's gonna take you one step further to finding the treasure that I have hidden for you. May you be found to be a seeker in the house of God and not a settler. And the final thing that I want to ask you to ask yourself is are you blocking or are you knocking? Are you blocking or are you knocking? You know, throughout the Bible, Doorways are spoken about. Doorways are referenced many times over, physical doors and spiritual doors. In fact, in John 10, Jesus himself referred to himself as a door. He said, if anyone wants to come to the Father, they have to come through me. He said, if you want a relationship with God, you can't get to him unless you come through the doorway, which is me. Doorways, they symbolise leaving one thing, and going into something else. You can't get from that room to that room unless you first go through the doorway. When you look in the dictionary, the expression to knock on the door says this. It means to present a possibility or a desirable opportunity in the near future. Can I ask you, What do you want in your near future? What do you see in your tomorrow and in your next week and in your next year? What do you see? Because God says, when you knock on the door, it presents you with an opportunity of newness. Opportunity are what the doors that God put in front of you, they look like opportunity. But where God expects to find you knocking, instead He finds you blocking. He says, look, on the other side of this doorway of opportunity, there is newness. There is new hope on the other side of this door. There is new healing. There are new levels of wisdom. There are new answers to be found all on the other side of the doorway. But the door that I want you to be knocking on, I find you blocking. 
and you're blocking it with an unrepented, unresolved attitude. See, when you're carrying offence, when you're harbouring hurts, and you don't deal with that unforgiveness, Luke spoke about it last week. You block the doorway of opportunity to your very own future. God says the door is there for the new things I have for you. And I need you to turn around because you see, when you're blocking something, you've got your back to it. And God says, I want you to turn and start knocking on the very thing that currently you've got your back to. And I know that situation nearly broke you. And I know they hurt you. And I know you feel justified in the way that you feel. But God wants you to know today that all the time you're blocking, you are preventing yourself from living in the blessings and the newness of all the years that are to come for your life. God says, turn today and start knocking. Forgive and let go, move on. The Scripture tells us that when you knock, the door will be opened unto you. When you can praise Him in your pain, you are knocking on the door of opportunity. When you worship Him through the worrying times of your life, you're knocking on the doorway of opportunity. When you can give to somebody else in your greatest hour of need, you're knocking and heaven hears you're knocking. And God says the door is gonna open to the new things that I have set out for you. Jesus also told a very quick parable to His disciples to drive this point home. He talked about someone who had a visitor turn up at his house late at night and he didn't have any food in to feed him. So he ran to his friend's house next door and he was knocking on his friend's door. And he said, hey friend, can you lend me some bread to feed my guest? And his friend shouted from the bedroom, go away, we're in bed, we're asleep but he kept on knocking. Hey friend, can you lend me some bread to feed my guest? And the friend kept saying, go away, I'm tired, leave me alone. But the Word of God says this, that I tell you that even though that friend wouldn't get up because he was his friend, he got up because of his persistent boldness and his relentless knocking. He got up and he gave him whatever he needed. So I say to you, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. God can't resist when you persist. And some of you, you've given up dreaming big. And some of you have been given up praying audacious prayers because you're like, I prayed that once and God didn't answer me. And I prayed and He didn't hear me. And God said, I did. You just gave up before my timing was right. God wants to know that you're persistent. I wonder sometimes if God thinks to Himself, why should I be so bothered about the thing they're not really bothered about themselves? Persistence, you're limiting a limited God 
You're limiting a limitless God with your complacency. So this is what God says today. Ask and ask again. Don't act in front of me, but ask of me. Seek and you will find. Don't be found seated in your attitude and in your heart and thinking it will never be that way for me. Knock and keep on knocking because opportunity wants to open a brand new world for you. God says, don't be found blocking the very thing that I wanna take you into. Deal with unrepentance, deal with unforgiveness, deal with that attitude. And in closing, this scripture just sums up everything that I wanted to say. In Jeremiah 33, this is God's message, the God who made the earth. He made it livable and lasting. He's known everywhere as God. He says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you marvellous and wondrous things that you could never ever figure out on your own. And as I close on this message, I just want to encourage you, stop figuring life out on your own. Stop running to what feels good today because He's the God of tomorrow and next week and all the years to come and He knows what's best for you. He says, talk to me, ask of me, cry out to me and let the God of heaven and earth do the impossible in your life.